Good morning again. I would invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse 13. We've just been looking at this passage from different angles. We're dealing with spiritual warfare, and it's something that we, uh, we need to know, especially in our day, because we fight a spiritual, we're in a spiritual battle fighting on three different fronts. We fight the world, we fight the devil, and we fight the flesh as well. And we've been studying this out. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 says, For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. For through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. But the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the thing that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I have forewarned you, just as I forewarned you that Those who practice such things will not enter the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, we thank you so much for our time together. We thank you for this word. I pray that as I just try to unpack this this theme of spiritual warfare, that it would be productive for us, that we would apply these things to our life as we can. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been looking at, at... Sin in our own life in this in this greater topic of spiritual warfare, um, and it comes down to the majority of the fight is within our own heart, the, the sin that's within our own flesh, really. And so we've been studying sin, and that's kind of a weird thing to to study. But the this not just the sin, but the conflict within, and that's where. We, we want to understand, we want to know that sinful uh, conflict within our own hearts. There's a, uh, just reminded of, of uh, a little cartoon in the newspaper. That was this thing that used to come to your house years ago. And it was a little clip. Dennis, to, Dennis the Menace uh, was walking out the church service and uh, he 
skeptically and suspiciously is looking at his pastor, shakes his pastor's hand and says, you know, for a pastor, you know an awful lot about sin. Now just let that sink in. Yeah, what's a pastor doing knowing so much about sin? Because we study it. And we also study our own heart. We know where sin resides. We know sin. We, we live in that environment so much so that we don't even realize how sinful we are. And in this passage, Paul is helping us to fight against that sin. To fight a good fight, Paul said. Now the battle is raging in the church at Cor- uh, the church in Galatia here. And the context is that Paul is dealing with these Judaizers, this Jewish, Jewish sect that has come into the church at Galatia and has uh, drawing the people away from Christ toward, back toward a salvation based upon works. A salvation based upon keeping the law, circumcision. And it comes down ultimately to self-effort. And it's based upon the flesh. What the flesh can do. No transformation, no change of heart, no holiness. It's just confirmation, conforming to the law. No Holy Spirit. And that's what they were trying to do. We can do it by our own bootstraps. So you have Paul dealing with the larger scale and the larger scale you have um, fighting against these false teachers, but on the narrow, uh, narrowing it down, they're fighting amongst themselves because of the conflict within their own heart because they're living out of the flesh and not the Spirit. True Christianity is a, re- is a religion that's based upon the works of Christ. It's based upon grace. The fulfillment of the law through Christ, it's based upon faith. Self-denial, not self-fulfillment, not fighting, but fighting against the flesh, not fighting uh, with or in the flesh, fighting in step with the Holy Spirit. That's that's what Paul is calling us to. And he is comparing essentially these two religions, two different sides of the spiritual war, two different factions Two different lifestyles, purposes, and causes. Essentially, a religion, one religion that walks according to the flesh, and then a religion that walks according to the spirit. And ultimately, those are, those are two different worlds. Those worlds apart. Very, very different. And you see this, this conflict. If you look back to chapter one, Galatians chapter one, in verse six, you see it on the bigger scale. He says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting back. This is Galatians chapter one, verse six. Deserting him who called you by grace of Jesus of Christ for a different gospel. And so these Judaizers coming in and saying, no, you, you need to be under the law. You need to keep the law. And, and Paul calls it a different gospel. You're going back to this different gospel. He says, which really is not another. It's not really another gospel. It's just a, it's a false gospel. It's not, not real at all. Only there are some who are distorting or disturbing you and want to, do, uh, 
distort the gospel of Christ. And that, and Paul is having to deal with that. Satan is, is producing this, this counterfeit church. Now that's what Satan does. He's doing in Paul's day what he's also doing in our day today. And it's not a Christianity at all. But that's what Satan does. Christ builds a church. Uh, <clears throat> Satan comes in and builds a church right alongside. Just, just, just almost exactly like the church. A counterfeit church. If Christ is, is planting wheat, Satan comes in and plants tares. If uh, God is planting or raising up sheep, then he, Satan is going to raise up goats. And he places enough lies in and among the, the truth that confuses people and causes a, a whole new religion, a whole new Christianity, essentially. And in Paul's day, Satan is, is trying to, and he's doing his best to, to, to bring together a Christianity and a, a, a Judaism, uh, combining these two things, keeping uh, keeping the law, and that's the emphasis. Because if you're keeping the law, if your your salvation is based upon your keeping the law, then it's not based upon faith in Jesus Christ. And the the two worlds really cannot become together. And so, Christ or Satan has produced this pseudo Christianity that you can have the best of both worlds. He he wants to to combine these things, but it it cannot be done. But when you look closely, they look so similar. And he's doing the same thing today. Today we have an, an alternate Christianity, I feel. It's an easy believism. It's a cheap grace. A, a faddish theology that just kind of comes and goes. and just kind of. It's a, it's a prosperity gospel. It's a shallow living. And it's a religion that takes... The, the best that God has to offer, eternal security that, boy, we're going to heaven, but you don't really have to follow God. And that's the, that's the idea. You don't even have to God, acknowledge God's Lordship. You don't have to give up anything. You don't have to give up the self, the flesh. You, you, it's not, you're not inconvenienced at all. And he pulls these things together and produces this counterfeit kind of Christianity. There's a video uh, American Gospel that's come out a few years ago that, that kind of lays these things out. It's really interesting. But the true Christianity, <clears throat> true salvation, there's a, there's a certain distinction about the Christian. The certain direction of his life, a certain lifestyle that, that Satan just cannot counterfeit. He, he can't do it. Certain priorities, certain attitudes, certain habits in our life, certain things that we stand for. And these mark out the Christian. They, it's like putting on a certain uniform in, in this war. Um, things that, that distinguish us. And that's the, that's the church. Those are things I think the church has, has lost. Because they're seeking this, this gray area and staying in this gray area. And Satan just likes to live there. He likes to take the black and the white, pull those things together, make this, this gray. And he has this gray uniform that he, he, we put on. It's a pseudo Christianity, pseudo godliness. And Paul would say it's denying the power of God working in your life. Now Paul calls 
cause the, the believer to, uh, uh, to adorn the doctrine of God. To, to take the doctrine of, of God, what we know of God, and apply those truths to our lives so that they're lived out in our, in our lives. Adorning the doctrine of God. And, and he mentions this in Titus chapter 2. This isn't just signing a doctrinal statement or saying, oh, I, I believe what they believe. Whatever they believe, I'll believe that. But no, this is... Um, this is taking on the very holiness of God. And this is a, a uniform that's consistent with the same colors of the, the team. And it's essentially fighting the, the big picture uh, spiritual war all the way down to fighting our own heart. Putting on this, this uniform. And, and it's two sides uh, of this, this global warfare that's going on. This rebellion against God. And it comes down from false teachers all the way down to the, to the heart. To the heart. So we need to learn. You know, we can, it's one thing to, to go out and uh, fight the, the spiritual battle uh, on the abortion front. Or maybe saying, oh, I'm a, I'm a, I vote the right way. Now I'm fighting the good fight. But we need to fight the good fight within our own heart. And that, that raises the question then is, is how do we do that? How do we fight against sin in our own life? And Paul is addressing that here. How, how do we put on this, this consistent marking of being a Christian, not, not just a, a facade of, of fighting on the conservative side, but, but dealing with our own heart? How do we do that? And we've been asking questions about this passage because this passage is so good. I think in, in helping us with the first, the first question is what is the source of this conflict? What's the source of the conflict within our own life? And it comes down to, if you look at verse 17, for the flesh sets its desires against the spirit. The, the source is the flesh. That's the problem. It's the, the spiritual habits of our life, the, the patterns of, of thinking, the emotional reactions, the sinful responses and the words and the attitudes. We pick up from family. We pick up from the people around us. When we're young, these sinful responses, they become so much a natural part of our being. And, and, and um, that even though we are a new creature inside, we still live in this, we're still tied to this body that's habituated toward evil and toward sin. We, we just have these sinful habits that we fight against, that... Causes, and that's the source. The sources of our own is our own flesh. Paul says. The second question that we that we saw is what is the nature of this conflict? Then, um, and the, it comes down to the one word desire. If you go back to verse seventeen again, for the flesh sets its desires against the spirit. What we want, it's my will be done. The, the flesh desires things. There's a longing, a yearning, a hunger, a, a craving in our own life. Something that, that drives us, sometimes that we might not even be aware of. Some desires are stronger than others, but they're just inappropriate or sinful motives of the heart. And that's where the world lives. That's the, the desires, those desires that, that spark the, that, that light the match, if you will, that ignites the fuel of the flesh. 
It's the place where temptation, those longings and, and uh, the discontentment of our own heart makes us easy prey for Satan and the world to influence us and to entice us. And it's also the place of worship. It's, it's where we worship. Even the good things of life can be bad things when we elevate them above God and, and have wrong motives. These, those things that, that we desire more than God or fear more than God or love more than God, they are idols, idols in our own heart. So the nature of the conflict is the desires of the flesh and they're, they're conflicting. They're conflicting with everything, everybody. There's, there's conflict. But again, many times we don't even know it. So we see in Scripture constantly that the authors of Scripture are con, uh, uh, saying, uh, uh, applying things to our, our heart and mind by asking the question, uh, have you examined your heart? And it causes, it forces us to examine ourselves. The third question, the next question is, is what is the flesh fighting against? And the, the real answer to that so, so you have the flesh, you have these sinful the desires of the flesh. What's the, what are they fighting against? Everything. You probably picked up here in, in verse 13, that, uh, 13 and 14 that I read, and 15 that I read earlier, that there's conflict within the church. It's because of their own flesh. They're fighting everything. That's the way the flesh is. It, it doesn't want restraint. It will fight any kind of restraint. Other people's will, the law, Authority, parents, anything, because it wants its own way. The norms of society, because it's in rebellion, rebellion against God. But the the context here forces us to to say it, the flesh is in conflict with the spirit, the Holy Spirit, and that's the key. Because within the life now, the believer has the Holy Spirit, and the flesh is fighting against the flesh. And the Spirit are fighting against each other. And God is at work in us. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13. God is at work in us to will and to do or to work of His good pleasure. The flesh is crying out, no, 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 I don't want that. And there's where the conflict is. And the Holy Spirit also lays out for us in the Word of God what He's doing in our life. The, the measure of our own maturity in, is Christ and it's God's holiness and He has laid that out for us. So the two are in conflict. You have the flesh on one side and you have the Holy Spirit on the other side and they cannot coexist. They oppose one another, He says. They're, they're set in opposition toward one another. The flesh desires, sets its desires against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And that's within the life of the believer because the Holy Spirit has taken up residence. Now that then leads us to ask this most important question, and that is, do you have the Holy Spirit in, in you? Is the Spirit working in your life or not? Do you have this Spirit living within you? And I want you to notice a couple of things. Look down at verse 18, because this is Paul's application here. He says, but if you are led by the Spirit, he's raising that question in your mind. Is the Holy Spirit really within me? Verse uh, down in verse uh, 25, he says, if we live by the Spirit. 
Again, is that Holy Spirit living within me? That's the big question. That's what marks us out from the world. That, that's what, uh, the uniform that we have on is from the Holy Spirit. That's what makes us different. Now, I want you to see how important this is. Turn over to Romans chapter 8, the passage that was read for us earlier. We want to just kind of dissect this, this passage. And it's so good. I think there's so much rich material here. Romans chapter 8. Just for the sake of time, I'll, I'll start in verse 3. <clears throat> for what the law could not do, weak as, as, weak as it was, through the flesh. Now, the law says, do this. You have to do this. And the, the law could not produce within us holiness. It, it just could not. Why? Because the, the flesh was weak. It, the, the flesh cries out, I cannot do that. I can't do it. And that's exactly where Israel was. They were trying to keep the law. They were trying to be a good nation, trying to please God, but they cannot do it. They could not do it. They were not relying upon the grace of God, upon the, <clears throat> upon the, um, the work of God in their life. They were relying upon their own flesh, their own self-effort. And Paul says, the flesh cannot do that because it's weak. It's weak. So the, the law could not do uh, these things because the, the flesh was weak. He says, what the law could not do, God did. Now that is so important. God had to intervene and God worked in our life. How did He do it? He sent His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He had to be in that sinful flesh. Or the, the likeness of that sinful flesh. He wasn't sin, but He was in the likeness of that sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, He, he crucified the flesh. We, we know in other parts of Scripture. It says, He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled. So He lived this righteous life. He, his sin was, was uh, put, our sin was put on Him. He crucified that flesh. And as a result, notice, so that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in who? In Christ? Now what does it say? So that the full fulfillment of the law might be, the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. So what He did was applied to, was applied to us. Now that's amazing. Imputation. That, that what, uh, what Christ fulfilled was we get the benefit for. Except we have to ask this question. Who is the us? Who is the us? Now look at this. This is so important. The us here. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Same same idea, right? Same idea as we saw in Galatians chapter 5. The way they are walking. They're not... No longer walking by the flesh. The, the word according to is, is after or like the flesh would walk. It's not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That, that's the two different worlds. The two different, that's the distinction that we see throughout Scripture. Either you're walking according to the flesh, my own desires, my own self-effort, my own uh, will, or according to the dictates, the, the directives of the Spirit, the principles that the Holy Spirit has laid out in Scripture. 
Those who are stopped walking in the flesh and have started walking according to the Spirit. And folks, that's the dividing line right there. That's where it it has to separate. You you cannot have both. It, It cannot be done. And you say, well, I'm a Christian. I raised my hand. I did this. I joined the church. I I was baptized. But Paul says, who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. That's the dividing line. It's not just, I I joined a religion. It's not not that at all. It's, It's, are you walking in the flesh, my will, or are you walking according to the Spirit, God's will? And there's there's the big difference there. The great gulf. It's as wide as the Grand Canyon. One side you have the Spirit. The other side you have the flesh. And you cannot do both. You cannot do both. Now, why doesn't just joining the church, or why doesn't just uh, uh, you know being a part of religion work? I mean, that's the way everybody else does it, right? You, you just join. It just cannot, it cannot be that way. Look at verse 5. For those who set their, who, who are according to the flesh, for those who are according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. Now you, you walk according to the flesh, you're setting your mind on the things of the flesh. This is the way it is. The flesh. The, the flesh wants what it, it wants. Uh, the flesh is focused on sexual innuendos, innuendos, or, or, or sexual appetites, or manipulating others, or driven by money. That's, that's the flesh. Or, if you're according to the Spirit, like the Spirit, following after the Spirit, then your mind is going to be set on the things of the Spirit. Heaven. Where your Father is. Where your treasures are. The grace of God. Christ Jesus. His kingdom first. Two different worlds. Two different worlds. And notice that you choose. There's a choice. You walk according to the flesh. You're putting your... Setting your mind on the things of the flesh. Or setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. Those things are produced in your life. There's certain results that it produces. Look in verse 6. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. So the Spirit then is working some things out in us. That's why it's so important that we have the Holy Spirit working in us. Why? Because it produces life and peace. That's what the Spirit produces. That makes us different from the world. Verse 7, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. It cannot do that. It, it does not love God. It hates God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. If you are in the flesh, you're walking according to the flesh, there's no way you can please God. You cannot continue to, to walk in the flesh and please God in any way. And those who are in the spirit can or in the flesh cannot please God, verse eight. Now, that brings us back to the question do we have the Holy Spirit? And how important is this question? Look at Paul's application. However, you are not, verse nine, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if 
Now there's our, our if, their conditional clause here. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. If it's not, then you don't get any of those benefits. If, if. Verse 10, if Christ is in you. Verse 11, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through the Spirit who dwells in you. Three or four times, and and Paul's forcing us to ask the question, do we have the Holy Spirit living in us? That's, That's how important this is. If you don't, then your resurrection is just not going to happen because it's only for those who have the Holy Spirit living within us. It's it's not going to happen. It's just not going to be there. The Holy Spirit has to dwell in you. And because the Holy Spirit dwells in us, we have new capacity. There's no longer uh, controlled by the, the, the flesh, but we're controlled by what God wants, not what we want. So Paul's application here is forcing us to examine our own heart and it exposes how important it is to live or to have the Holy Spirit living within us. So then the question becomes what? How can I know if I have the Holy Spirit? How can I be sure that the Holy Spirit is really residing in me? Because it's so crucial that it is then how how can I know? How can I know? Let me give you four steps. Four steps. You can turn back to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. And verse 6. Four signs that the Holy Spirit is living within your life. Number one. Galatians chapter 6. I'm sorry. Galatians chapter 4 verse 6. Paul says, Because you are sons... God has set forth the spirit of him, of his son, into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. Okay, he has adopted us into his family. He's called us sons. And because of that, he has put his spirit, the the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of his son, in our hearts. And what's the evidence of that? Look at this. Crying, Abba, Father. Or, or really, crying out. There's this idea of crying out here. Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit, he, He's placed Him in our hearts. One of the first things, like a newborn babe being born again, we, we cry out, Abba, Abba. That's, that's what babies do. They don't formulate words that, Abba, Abba. That's the only thing they know. Daddy. And that's the idea here. Abba, Father. We cry out, Abba, Father. There's three things. Here, it's important. Remember those three things that, that mark rebellion against God? Pride, lies, or, or living in that uh, realm of self-deception, and then independence from God? Remember those three things? The, that pride that, and the, the lies and independence? That has been stopped here. We, we no longer have pride. We're, we're crying out. There's a brokenness in our own heart. If the Holy Spirit is residing in us, there's a brokenness. There's a humbleness. Pride has been thrown away. We don't care. We're crying out to God. And it's crying out to God. 
We realize that we are self-deceived. The answer is not within us. It's outside of us. We understand that. We, we no longer want to live within the, the lies of our own life. We know that truth lives in God outside us. So we get rid of the lies. We get rid of the prize. We get rid of the lies. And we cry out, Abba, Abba, Father, like a, like a baby. What is that? That's dependence. It's not independence. So, so pride has been thrown away and replaced with humility and brokenness. And that, that living in our own understanding has been thrown away. Now we depend upon God's understanding. And that independent spirit seeking our own will has been replaced with dependence upon God and faith in God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. We cry out, Abba, Father. That's the first step, folks. It's the first step when the Holy Spirit lives within you. It's not this crazy stuff that you see in the charismatic churches. No, there's brokenness, humility, and crying out to God. Crying out to God. Oh, Lord, if you don't help me, nobody else will. I have no other hope. That's the idea. When the Holy Spirit comes in, there's a stopping, a, a stoppage of of rebelling against God and turning into love because He's my Father. That's the first step. The first sign that the Holy Spirit is resigning and working in a person. There's a brokenness and a crying out to God. A love now for God, our Father. The second sign. The second sign is submission. To see this, I want you to turn over to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 23. Christ said, Jesus was talking to uh, Ju- Judas. And he says, uh, this is not Judas Iscariot, but Jesus said, answered and said to him, If you love me, or if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. So that there's some... There's an answer for us there. Who keep my word. My Father will love him, and he will come... He will come to him and make his abode with him. That's talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God himself comes and dwells within us. He who does not love me does not keep my word. I think the result of the Holy Spirit, second result of the Holy Spirit indwelling in us is, is a submission to God's word. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You're going to do what I say. There's a following after Christ. And I think the church needs to understand that today. There's an obedience to God's Word. There's a seeking after and following after God. Following after the words of Christ. Following after the words that the Holy Spirit has laid out for us. I think that's part of the crying after God. We know where the answers are. There's a submission. And obedience to the Word of God. Number three, the third sign, is in 1 John chapter 3. And this is a long passage, but I think it's beneficial for us to read it. Third sign that the Holy Spirit is working in us is the abandonment of sin. Verse 4, 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. Now that's the self-willed, right? That's just the flesh. I will not uh, submit to any law. Lawlessness. That's the idea. For sin is lawlessness. You 
You know that He appeared in order to take away sin. And in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him, that's Christ, sins. No one who sins has seen Him or knows Him. You have no relationship with Christ at all. Little children, make sure no one deceives, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteousness, just righteous just as He is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. You see those two different worlds? For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. That's the Holy Spirit. Why, why does he not continue in his sin? Because the Holy Spirit won't let him. He just the Holy Spirit abides in him now. This seed that just grows and grows. And, and he's talking about, he says, because his seed abides in him, he cannot sin, he says. He cannot continuously, habitually stay in his sin. Because... Look at this and look at the terminology. Because He is born of God. Because God has has quickened His Spirit. The Holy Spirit has changed Him. He is born again. There's new life there. There's a new creature there. A new baby there in the Spirit. The spiritual baby. And by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Everyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his neighbor. It's very tangible. It's very uh, very easily seen by other people. This distinction that the Holy Spirit makes when He comes into a life. There's an abandonment of sin. Saying no to sin. And then that raises another question. It raises another question. How can we be sure the Holy Spirit is within us? It's because of the fruit that He produces. He produces fruit. Produces fruit in our life. So go back to Galatians. Now where have we heard this before? And this is exactly where Paul's going. Galatians chapter 5. And the Holy Spirit resides in our life. In verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit. How do you know if you have the Holy Spirit residing in you? It produces fruit. There's there's something there that wasn't there before. This, This new life, this new lifestyle, this new direction. These things that mark out you being a Christian. What are they? The fruit of the Spirit. So the Spirit, the seed is within us and it's growing and it's growing. It's like a tree and you begin to see, oh, that's an orange tree. Or that's an apple tree. How do you know? You look at the fruit. Well, this is a Spirit tree. How do you know? You look at the things of the Spirit. You look at what the Spirit is producing here. Now, there's nine of these and we'll try to move through these quickly. But essentially what the Holy Spirit is doing is taking the doctrine of God and applying it to the life. Putting on that that uniform. The very holiness, the very nature of God is going to be now reflected in God's children that mark them out, that, that make them look different. There's love. Love. These godly attitudes here. 
love. This is a, a love of choice. This isn't a love of emotional kind of love, not even a familial kind of love, the family kind of love. No, this is a love that leads someone to willingly sacrifice for God and for others. Willingly sacrifice for God and for others. And that's exactly what God has done for us. That He's demonstrated this love to us. That's God's kind of love. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's God's kind of love. And that's going to be reflected in our heart. Number two is joy. That's a happiness. There's a happiness within us. It's based upon eternal spiritual realities. Not based upon the circumstances of our life. Not 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 manufactured this kind of superficial joy. It's a real joy. It's real happiness in our life. But it's rooted in eternal things and not circumstances. And that's hard for the world to understand. It's hard for anybody to understand. It's a happiness that, that in spite of the circumstances. Number three is peace. Love, joy, peace. The word is actually a combination of, of two words. And it means having it all together. <laughs> having it all together. Everything is in its place. There's an, an inner calm from the confidence of a saving relationship with Christ. An inner calm, a peace, a confidence because of a relationship with God. And that that anchors us, folks. There's a contentment there because our eternal destiny is is fixed. It's settled. So it doesn't matter what anybody does for us, to us. It doesn't matter if they kill us. There's the worst thing that can happen we're set. We're secure. That's a big deal, folks. Number four, there's patience. The ability to endure uh, irritating and painful situations from others. We can be patient with others. That's, a, that's an amazing trait, but you see that in Christ. You see that when, when Christ was dealing with the, the, the twelve disciples... Especially Peter. Can you imagine how patient Christ had to be with Peter? He was very patient. Very patient. And we see that patience with us. God demonstrates His patience with us. And, and He's producing that in our life. There's a kindness. The ability to treat others with, with tenderness. And the ability to treat others with gentleness and, and concern. Because that's the way God has treated us, isn't it? It just, it reflects God's kindness and tenderness with us. We, we cry out, Abba, Father, and you know what? He picks us up and holds us like a, like a little baby. And He pulls us in close. He, tend, he is tender with us. With those broken hearts. Number six, there's goodness. We, we have an understanding now, a moral and, and spiritual excellence. We understand what, what, is, what is best. It's discerning good in every situation. What is right in every situation. Faithfulness, a loyalty, a, a, tr- trustful, um, a trustworthiness. If you will, it's just a loyalty to God, a loyalty to God's church and loyalty to God's God's people. They show up Sunday after Sunday. There's a living by the spiritual principles laid out for us in, in Scripture. 
This is a faithfulness that, that's not according to the circumstances of our life that's going to be there because of these principles. I, I'm driven by a, a certain uh, drive of uh, just being a servant of God. I'm a servant of God, and so I must be found faithful. And the Holy Spirit's producing that in your life. Number eight, gentleness. There's a meekness there because of a humble and broken spirit. There's now a gentle attitude that's, that allows us to be patient and, and submissive and, and allow other people the, the, the graces of our life. No desire there for revenge. There's a gentleness of heart because of that brokenness. And we know we, we, we've, we've faced that brokenness before. And so we understand why gentleness is so important. And then the last one is self-control. We, we, we restrain our own passions. We restrain the appetites of the flesh. We pull back. And we can do that because we've seen God's care in our own life. And we, we know that we have a, a faithful God. I don't have to go after it. God will bring it to me. I, I can restrain myself. God will give me what I need. And this is rooted, folks, in the fact that He is a good shepherd. And He'll, he'll take care of us. Now, those nine things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, he says, there is no law. You know what? The Holy Spirit is taking the doctrines of God and, and salvation redemption, all of those lofty thoughts, and He is applying them to our life. And He's producing within us a certain certain uniform. And when you join an army, you're issued a, a particular uniform. It's, it has a, a certain color. And when you put that on, you basically look like everybody else. <laughs> because you're all on the same team. And you begin to realize that uniform is important so that no, no friendly fire, uh, shoots you. No one shoots you from friendly fire. But it also puts you on the right side. It, it designates you. It marks you out. It shows what you're standing for, what you're fighting for, your values, the cause that you're, you're supporting. And as Christians, folks, we have this uniform. We're adorning the doctrine of God. And it's a certain lifestyle. It's a certain, certain direction of life. And it's just taking the Word of God, the Holy Spirit's taking the Word of God and applying it to our lives and making us look like everybody else on the team. And you cannot have, you cannot be on the red team and the blue team at the same time. You, you cannot rely upon Christ and His works, salvation, and in our works, salvation. You can't rely on the flesh. It's one or the other. So we fight on a global scale, but we fight mostly within our own heart. And that struggle within our own heart is the flesh crying out, no, no, no. And it's the Holy Spirit producing fruit in our life. And that conflict comes down to verse 17, back to Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, but the Spirit against the flesh. For they are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the thing you please. 
wow, we're not our own. God is at work in us, and there's going to be conflict. And the spiritual battle that's going on out there in the world really is, is raging in our own heart, in our own mind. If, if you have the Holy Spirit. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for these words. Lord, I just pray that you would apply these things to our heart, bring these things to mind throughout the week. Lord, help us to to walk according to the Spirit. Lord, help us to see what the Holy Spirit is, is doing and then just be in lockstep with what He is doing in our life. I pray that we would be marked out as Christians in a world where there seems to be this pseudo-Christianity. May they see our lives and say, that's what a true Christian looks like. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.